0: The following Downstage Center program was originally broadcast in March
1: 2007. Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway.
0: And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing.
1: Today, we welcome a very well-known stage and film actor, Billy Crudup. Hi, Billy. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having yeah, thanks. me. Let me just take a few seconds to run through some of your credits. Of course, movie credits. Recently, Mission Impossible 3, uh, The Good Shepherd, Big Fish, Sleepers, Everyone Says I Love You. I'm leaving a lot of titles out, but a, lot of, a lot of film work. On uh, Broadway, The Pillow Man. The Elephant Man, both of those shows, Tony nominated for your performances of both of those, Three Sisters, Bus Stop, and your first show, Arcadia, currently, though, in two out of the three parts of The Coast of Utopia, parts one and two. It's quite a monumental uh, achievement. Tom Stoppard wrote it, and it runs about nine hours total.
2: That's right. It's, uh, and it's only really a primer uh, for uh, exploring the subject matter that Tom has chosen, which is... Uh, European revolution and uh, philosophical um, ingenuity in the 19th century. It's uh, not nearly as challenging as it sounds in some respects and always as challenging as Tom Stoppard is. So he asks a lot of the audiences and they get a lot in return.
1: it's a very big cast. A lot of people up on stage at Lincoln Center, the Vivian Beaumont, and you are in parts one and two. Part one being Voyage, part two being Shipwreck, and as you said, it's set in the early part of the 19th century in in, in Russia, in Moscow. It
2: is, and uh, it takes place all over Europe uh, towards the second uh, part in uh, Shipwreck. They go to Paris, uh, and I'm sure many other places, but I... I only appear in Paris, and I'm just not concerned with what anybody else is doing. Um, not really. Uh, but it takes place all over all over Europe and uh, traces the paths of five men, primarily, who are trying to cope with the enormous changes that their countries are going through and uh, trying to be at the forefront of helping um, their populace evolve in uh, a philosophical way.
1: And these men are basically young aristocrats, for the most part, who are taken by the ideas of freedom and radical change right. in Russia. They're, they're bringing these ideas back from Western Europe. Right. And your character is a literary critic, a fellow named Belinsky, right. who is not an aristocrat.
2: That's right. He is uh, the only one of the group uh, not um, uh, uh, privileged. And uh, he finds his way into the group uh by sheer force of will and intelligence and uh i suppose rudeness is a uh n- not too eloquent way of saying uh how how telling you how he finds his way in he implores the thinking before they're known as the intelligentsia but the intelligentsia to allow his opinion opinion some room in their in their space and uh Um, because of his insight and understanding and passion um, many of the people who hold the power in that group uh, give him an opportunity to to play a role
0: there have been a lot of words spilled about whether or not someone needs to study up before seeing this show and certainly the playwright Tom Stoppard is has said he doesn't think that's the case but in approaching playing this role How much were you focusing solely on what Stoppard put on the page and obviously this vast amount of Russian history? Because Tom is a writer of incredible knowledge and
2: uh, vast intelligence, he includes each character's uh, intellectual history and their their own knowledge into every word that they speak so consequently if you don't understand what the character understands at least superficially you can't just play the scenes because the scenes are dependent upon what he's known and when he knows it and his understanding of the the dialogue that, uh, that he's in the midst of particularly my character who uh, is uh, infuriated by the state of art in Russia. And so I had to have some superficial understanding uh, of uh, what was available in Russia at the time, and then you know I draw a correlation to the kinds of stuff that that I'm familiar with. And um, but did uh, the
0: cast go to Utopia School and and really get fed what they needed to know, or was you know, it self discovery?
2: Well, you always go to some kind of school. I mean, uh, there I can't think of any role. That I've taken on where I wasn't forced to learn something new in a very brief period of time. Uh, Arcadia, you know, sort of uh, walked the line between chaos mathematics and uh, and gardening, uh, Mm -hmm. landscape gardening. Uh, So I had to know a little bit about that just to understand uh, for instance in Arcadia what Septimus was trying to convey to Thomasina. I definitely don't have the level of intelligence that Tom's characters uh, have that I've portrayed. So the so there's a great deal of pretending on my part, and uh, it, it requires only, uh, as I said, a superficial knowledge.
0: Well, did I hear that some of the cast actually went over to Russia before getting into all of this? <laughs> they
2: did, but uh, <laughs>
0: I... I, I, I...
2: I, I feel like it was more of an excuse to go to Russia than uh, <laughs> a, a, an, an experience. So you went in the junket is what you I you're telling. didn't go. You didn't go. I didn't go. I wasn't available to go. Uh, but Jason Butler-Harner and Martha Plimpton and Josh Hamilton and Breen O'Byrne, I think, and uh, I can't remember who else went. Um, yeah, they were very inspired by this event and uh, inspired by the idea of immersing themselves for nine months in uh, in in Russia. And... So they went to get a taste of it, a little feel of it. I mean, you know, one of the thing, one of the primary issues that we deal with in the play is the uh, caste system uh, in the middle of the 19th century that historically, you know, was such an important part of Russian culture. And despite the fact that there have been revolutions and uh, communism was meant to, you know, sort of dispel the caste system, it's there in their heritage. So... I I assume there's uh, you know still a taste of it uh, still wafting through the air, so they probably got a little something out of it.
1: Your your character Belinsky was a real person. Mm-hmm. Did you do any research into him, to his personality, what he was all about?
2: Well, there, there I read the book that basically everybody else is reading now uh, because the uh, Isaiah Berin, Berlin's uh, uh, Russian Thinkers now uh, a bestseller in New York <laughs> thanks know, to
0: <laughs> Ghost of Utopia,
2: our uh, dramaturg. Uh, uh who went on to do suggested reading for for audience members gave us those books first so we uh th- there is actually a passage in Russian thinkers uh chapter really that's about uh, Vissarion Belinsky and what a powerful figure he was and i've never had such an extensive character description uh uh to to draw from before you know typically you get a couple of lines in the player in the film script that say uh he's an ambitious person with a you know hometown swagger or something mm-hmm. i don't know um and that's about all you get and uh this was one very extensive well-written chapter about very specific things uh And Tom obviously used it as well to um, draw from in writing the script. So it's pretty demanding in some respects, uh, uh, um, uh, the kinds of character traits that you have to attend to when playing this guy. So it was really helpful.
1: Well, I'm not sure either what word to use, but I would say words like animated, energetic, uh, uh, maybe not even quite but almost over the top in terms of your portrayal of this guy. Definitely. Was that you or was that the way the guy well, really that was? was. M-
2: that was my interpretation uh-huh, of uh-huh. the way that the guy was. Everything that I read talked about his discomfort uh, and his inability to overcome his own sec- insecurity uh, uh, and that only had to do with the class system. Um, he was constantly dubious of people's uh, motivations for having him around and always sure that he was going to make a fool of himself because he didn't understand all the codes and the proper ways of responding and was so filled with this kind of rage and distress about the state of his world that he couldn't contain himself. And there are great passages that Hertzen wrote about um, parties that he would absolutely ruin by pontificating in the middle and tearing everybody uh, to shreds for mm-hmm. supporting a, uh, a, a system that left Russia centuries behind uh, the ever-evolving Europe.
0: Obviously, this is more than just one play. It's a bigger production than simply being in a play. In some ways, it's like being part of a rep company, even along the same themes, when you were approached to do the show obviously it's a long time commitment there's the multiple parts there's certainly more rehearsal what uh what appealed to you when when you looked at this well there were several things the first is uh
2: the writing definitely uh that's tom's one of the preeminent uh playwrights of our time and uh One of the reasons he is is because he's spectacular with language. And uh, one great reason for being an actor is you get to be far more eloquent uh, for two hours a night than you are uh, in life. And when somebody gives you, you know, a 10-minute monologue that uh, uh, speaks to a very specific and beautiful kind of passion about the world, uh, and you get to be expressive through that, it's, uh, it's a pretty enriching feeling. And there were... Um, sentimental reasons for me, too. Uh, Lincoln Center was sort of where I got my start with Arcadia and with Tom Stoppard. And um, I've been wanting to work with Jack O'Brien for some time. Uh, Balinski was a role that I just couldn't turn down. It, 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 it's the kind of role that appeals to me that I don't get offered so often. So that was exciting.
0: What specifically appealed to you that you say you don't get the opportunity to play?
2: Well, uh, he's not the protagonist. Uh, he He may be a a sort of um, conduit for the audience uh, but he's not uh, the focus of the narrative Um, and so therefore you're not sort of you know saddled by the constraints of playing a protagonist which are sometimes to uh, limit the scope of your uh, specificity so as to carry the most amount of people along on the ride that's never explicit, but it's implicit in a lot of uh, the roles that you're asked to play as the kind of uh, narrator of a story. Um, a good example might have been uh, Katerian. Um, he... In The Pillow Man. The pillow man. Uh, sorry, yeah. Um, his brother Michael is the far more dynamic creation, and I feel like I sort of excel at um, m- rendering kind of uh, offbeat and uh, idiosyncratic uh, personalities. And I don't know why I feel that exactly, but it's where I feel most comfortable. So when I get a part like Belinsky, I automatically have all sorts of um, uh, um, uh, creative instincts.
0: It, oddly, it sounds like the difference between between being a character actor and a leading man. Well... You know,
2: there, I think there's a very good argument to be made about that. I, 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 you're often cast uh, not just for what you look like, but uh, for the first way in which you're seen. And the first way that I was really seen on stage was Arcadia, and that was a kind of romantic lead. And one of the first ways I was seen on film really was Inventing the Abbots, where I was a kind of dramatic, uh, sullen romantic, you know, uh, lead. And both of those roles were fantastic roles and very interesting. Um, but most roles that fall into that genre are not written as well as those two are. So if you get sort of pigeonholed in, um, that grouping of, uh, characters, you run out of interesting things to do pretty quick. And so that's when I started to try to make sure I did other things like three sisters. I played Solioni in three sisters and, um, I don't know. I, I guess I always knew or always had a sense that m- my – what I will be able to offer uh, as an actor and a way to continually be employed uh, is by uh, – what I have to offer is <laughs> not words right now, um, but uh, um, sort of idio- idiosyncratic personality studies.
1: I guess it's safe to say that uh, the types of roles you seem to be cast in, whether it's intentional on your part to take those roles or people offer you, are not your standard uh, white bread cookie cutter type roles. They're more interesting people, more interesting, deeper, and perhaps even quirky roles.
2: Well, you know, I think I would screw up anything that uh, was too broad because I I make choices and often it's not my own uh, decision to do so. It's just where I'm taking creatively uh, and sort of instinctually to kind of odd choices. I read something and it to me it, it sounds very specific and I read it a certain way and I make a choice based upon it. And the director will often say, uh, yeah, I didn't see that in there at all. And, and I, I'll be thinking, I didn't know there was anything else in there. I wasn't trying to make an odd choice by it. So, you know, in some respects, I don't think that I would – service uh, um, uh, a play or a film where I was meant to be sort of simplified in some ways. And there are other actors who do that very well and convincingly in a way that draws you in. And I think, you know, I would probably end up alienating people. Is
1: it that you are attracted to these roles or the roles become what they are because of you? Or
2: That's a good question. I... I, I I guess I always end up making them you know m- my own uh-huh. in spite of myself uh, and i 'm almost always trying to do just the job that i 'm asked for, but uh, I often get looks of surprise uh, by the the choices that I make in any in any one role
1: of all the different roles you 've done, both on stage or even in film, is there any one single Guy that you've portrayed, who is most like the real Billy Crudup in real life? Anybody that's really you, just playing yourself up there?
2: I don't think I've had that chance yet. <laughs> I, I, and also, I don't think, I don't think, if I saw myself on page, I, 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 that was that would be about the last person I would want to show people. <laughs> uh, I, I'll, that that would be far too revealing. I think I tend to take, I I tend to pick people whom I know little about. Uh, who I feel uh, some kind of antagonism towards because it's always interesting to discover something new about people. Um, and uh, I kind of like to you know question my own predispositions about per- different personalities. I can remember doing Without Limits and feeling like Steve Prefontaine was the type of brash uh, personality that I had an innate antagonism for, uh, I preferred always the more subtle workmen um, uh, athletes than the sort of celebrity stars. And so it was a great opportunity for me to, you know, kind of go into the lion's den and, and, um, rearrange my own, choices.
1: So if I'm understanding
2: correctly then,
1: you, you tend to gravitate toward characters, toward men you don't yourself particularly like because do you find them more interesting that way? Is, yeah, is, often is that I think
2: it? you know, but it's it's not I would be wrong to characterize it as as people I don't like or uh, it's it's and and I did kind of say that but I think it's more people I don't understand. Uh-huh. And I get curious about it. And so when I'm reading a script I start trying to solve the problem. Sorry about that. I'm knocking stuff over. Um, don't worry. I'm going to make a mess of this place. I'm not afraid <laughs> to either. It's people that I have questions about that inspire my imagination. And I start trying to answer those questions. If I see somebody on the page that that I understand uh, pretty quickly uh, and would know how to pray, play pretty quickly, it kinda, it kind of takes the fun out of it for me.
0: Well, let's jump back. What drew you into acting in the first place? You, went, you ultimately went to school at NYU for acting, but had you been doing a lot in high school and college before that?
2: Well, we didn't have a drama program at high school. I went to St. Thomas Aquinas High School in Fort Lauderdale, Florida um, for three years, and I was in, uh, in Texas for one year before that. Um, but uh, we didn't have a drama program. But there was a couple of guys who wanted to do a play, and one of them was particularly inspired to do – oh, gosh. It was eventually made into a TV movie with uh, Daniel J. Trevanti and Ed Asner. Uh, Somebody out there knows, and I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, And it was a courtroom drama, and we were in high school, and they asked me if I wanted to do it because I was just such a ham in class. I was a real class clown and, um, bit of a goofball. And so, you know, we all put baby powder in our hair and, and played 50 year old men, uh, as 17 year olds. And we took ourselves very seriously. And I sort of thought, well, that's probably that, you know, maybe, maybe in college I'll audition for something again. And then as soon as I got to college, I wanted to do something again. I was sort of itching to do something again. And I auditioned for, um, a student soap opera that was on, uh, the, um, public access called, uh, General College, um, written and directed and produced, uh, and acted in first by a guy named Adam Reist, who is still a good friend of mine. Uh, and Adam, uh, had the idea that he was going to make a spoof of, uh, um, <laughs> General Hospital, <laughs> any soap opera, okay, but but none of us were talented enough to really pull that off very well. So we we ended up doing a kind of melodramatic uh, um, student soap opera, and it went on for four years. And uh, I loved doing it, uh, and I started taking all the performance classes at school eventually started doing theater um, at the lab theater there, which was the undergraduate theater department. But nobody in my family had a a sort of creative background, so I I didn't want to be a drama major that seemed uh, a little scary to me. So uh, I was a speech communications major with a concentration in performance studies. Uh, And the performance studies is is, is, not purely, but mostly an academic uh, field that's involved with oral interpretation of prose and poetry and forensics and that kind of thing, Um, which was very interesting and kind of, you know, got me interested in the avant-garde theater. And uh, so then, you know, when it came time to make a decision coming out of undergraduate, I thought, well... I'm clearly interested in performance, and my teachers have given me enough positive feedback, and it's about the only class that I'll make an A in. Um, So maybe I'll pursue that further, and I thought the way that I would do that was get my master's and teach. So I went to NYU, and um, it's a professional actor training program, and from the first day I got there, I never thought about teaching again.
0: And pretty famously, you came out of that program, and almost immediately, You're in Arcadia, very high-profile production. But I read something in preparing for the interview that said you actually blew your first uh, audition for the show.
2: Yeah, I didn't. I I was auditioning with Daniel Swee, and I didn't – he was giving me direction, and I wasn't as fast an actor as I needed to be. And so I made the choices that I thought he meant at the time. And then as I was walking out, I'll never forget. I was walking right out of the garage at Lincoln Center uh, by the stage door, and it hit me what he meant. And And you couldn't go running back in. And I couldn't go running back in. So I called my agent and I said, you know, which every agent I'm sure gets this call 30 times a day, which is I just figured out how he wanted me to do the audition. Is there any way you can get me back back in? And uh, so he called me back about 30 minutes later and he said, you know, I talked to Daniel and he said, uh, this is the casting director at Lincoln Center, Daniel Swee. And he said um, he understands, but he just doesn't think you're right for the part. Mm. And... So I was very disappointed, but that made sense to me. But I, I was so excited by having understood that piece of direction and how to apply it that I started to kind of rehearse it myself just as a kind of acting exercise. And I had a friend uh, at the time who liked reading Thomasina, So we met a couple of times, maybe once or twice and read the scenes just for ourselves. And I kept thinking about it and kept kind of, you know, developing in my head what, what I would have done. And two weeks later, uh, I got a call um, saying they hadn't found anybody yet, and would I like to come back in and audition again? And by that time, I was, you know, fluent, and I had done it so many times. And the next day, I had a call back with Trevor Nunn, and I got the part that afternoon.
1: Wow, <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, I was really lucky. <laughs> Very good way to, to get into the business, so to speak.
2: Definitely. Well, and I had just in in the time between. When I did my first audition for Arcadia and when I came back, I actually went to work for three days on a movie in California and was fired from that and thought, mm, I don't know if I want to keep acting. I'm not going to say which movie, but um, I was like, I don't know if I want to keep acting. I was devastated. you know. I was supposed to work for two days and then come home for two weeks and then go back for two more days. And I got home... After two days, and my brother said the director called, and I was thinking, why would the director call? She didn't talk to me much then, you know. I I, I, I kind of joked with my brother. She's probably going to fire me. <laughs> she did. <laughs> uh, so it was quite a a, a three week journey there for me, and uh,
0: and then suddenly you're in the American premiere of a Tom Stoppard play directed by Trevor Nunn on the main stage at Lincoln Center Theater with a fantastic cast. It's I mean, that must have been mind the best ending to
2: that story you can, you know, possibly imagine. It was it was incredible. I, the truth is, at the time, I felt tremendous pressure um, because that's... The, the way in which you just articulated it is the way it kept appearing in my mind, that this is very important. This is very important. I have to do a very good job. And... That didn't necessarily translate into enthusiasm and excitement. It translated into pressure. I don't want to screw up this play that I love so much, and I don't want to screw it up, you know, for Tom, and I don't want to screw it up for the cast. And um, so it was, it was, it was pretty challenging for quite some time. And you know, I I was new. I'd never done a play for that long. I didn't know how to sustain uh, a performance over a long period of time. Um, there, were, there was a very steep learning curve uh, for me, um, and also all the attention and the dealing with interviews, and there was quite a bit going on at that uh, that period of time.
0: Were there people who helped guide you through that?
2: There was. I, In fact, uh, a guy named Simon Halls, who was a publicist in uh, New York at the time, was good friends with my agent, who I had right out of school, Karen Friedman, what's her name, and Philip Carlson. They worked together. Um, and, uh, and Simon came and saw one of the previews of Arcadia and he came up to me afterwards and he said, Billy, you probably don't know this yet, but you're going to have to do a lot of interviews, uh, and you're going to have to start, you know, uh, attending to the press and... Uh, I can help you through that. And, you know, I sort of thought, oh, here we go. Here comes the bloodsuckers. You know, you take 5%, you take 10%. Here goes a man. So I was a little dubious, and I said, you know, uh, let's, you know, do it on a kind of uh, trial basis. And uh, we still work together today.
1: Well, speaking of learning curves... That audition process of blowing it the first time around and then finding what he wanted and going back, did that influence you then for future auditions, future roles? You're definitely, going for, definitely. In terms I, you know, of the,
2: I think the thing I sort of took from that was that, that the moment you get to audition uh, for any role is the chance that you get to play the part and that if you can imagine that it begins and ends there... Uh, it gives you an enormous enormous liberty to. Uh, I'm trying to <laughs> block the sun for you. Um, it gives you enormous liberty to um, to experiment in the moment, and uh, and it helps when you've had it when you've landed a few jobs and you don't have the pressure of of. Um, Needing the audition to go well, so you can either you know get your health care or you know make your monthly payment, which is the problems that all actors deal with mostly or that most actors deal with um, but even so, um, you have to find so many ways to compartmentalize as an actor that that 's one way that I found was very helpful for me to just imagine that each audition that I got was my chance to play the role and sort of, you know, you give good performances and bad performances just like you do every night in the theater.
0: You turned around fairly quickly after Arcadia and did Bus Stop, which certainly was a different character to say the least. Tell, tell us well, about Well, that was kind of my into...
2: design too, you know. I I it was important to me to give myself give myself give myself <laughs> give myself as many opportunities as possible. Uh it was something I learned in school and and um, always felt like it would benefit me in my career to, to not just be as versatile or imagine that I'm as versatile as I am, but to put it into practice very quickly uh, so that um, the community of creative artists that I work with uh, think of me in that way as well. You can be a tremendously versatile actor, but if you don't ever exercise those parts of you, they will go away. They will atrophy. And I don't know if it was panic on my part or uh, I was overzealous or I don't know. But I I tried to find a part that was as different physically, emotionally, intellectually, superficially as possible. And and Bo certainly fit the bill for that.
1: Bus Stop was a comedy, and then the next one was Three Sisters, which was a drama. Yes, so you're going from one extreme to the other. Again. Yes,
2: and and that was an the for me, I, Three Sisters is just one of my favorite plays, and so uh, I wanted to work on it because I love that play. And we actually did a, a a production in school that was, you know, I think we did it for five performances or something like that um, where I played Solyoni. And it really whet my appetite for that character and I didn't really get to play it. So when I heard that that was coming up again, uh, I said that was a role that I would love to play. And it was also another opportunity to exercise what I was talking about before, which is you can want to play supporting roles and you can want to play leading roles, but unless you actually start doing it, you're not going to build a facility to do it. Um, So this was a chance for me to, you know, do a a regular three month run in a very small role, uh, that, um, you know, I, I had to develop skills to keep my imagination, uh, occupied, uh, and learn how to, um, you know, uh, do a small role. Uh, uh, I was going to say gracefully, but I wasn't very graceful in that production. um, (laughs) But I guess maybe start thinking about doing a small role gracefully um, uh, as to continue to keep as many opportunities for myself available while doing plays that I loved.
1: Now, did you go after that particular role because you had done yes. it in, in, in college? Yes. And, you... and is
2: not a was not a good role for me uh-huh. at the time. I mean, it's the most beautiful role. I love it. Uh-huh. But I, I it would... It w- uh, there's too many impediments for me to kind of overcome to play it back then back
1: then yeah if you're going for it now would it that uh, would it be any different
2: you know it's funny once you go past once you go past the roles in age, you uh-huh. stop thinking about them like uh-huh. I haven't even thought about Tuzenbach and uh-huh. you know the next next stop for me is Verhinen you know and so uh and maybe I'll stop and on maybe I'll stop with andre on the way um but uh Tusenbach, I, I, I'll just, I'll just always love Tusenbach from afar.
1: Next was the Elephant Man. Did you go after that? Did they go after you? No, it was Sean
2: Mathias. I uh, was in working in London, uh, and I met Sean Mathias at a party, and uh, we had met once before. I auditioned for Indiscretions, and um, he said, "I have this very strange thing to ask you. Um, I'm interested in doing the Elephant Man." And would love for you to play the part. Do you have any interest? And I hadn't read it. You know, I I was familiar with the movie, but only Mm -hmm. you know from when I was you know an adolescent. Um, So I took a look at it, and uh, first of all, the uh, the play is um, it's an extraordinary story to begin with. But the play itself is uh, really interesting, and. By interesting, I mean that it doesn't take a sort of act one, act two, act three standard format. It's maybe I can't remember if it's 10 scenes or something like that that take place all over all over uh, uh, England. And it doesn't follow any one. Relationship solely, it kind of is vignettes.
0: Yeah, it's an oddly fractured and fragmented play. People who are familiar with the the David Lynch film goes straight through the chronology. The play is is much more spiky than that.
2: Yeah, and it le- it leads um, it leaves a lot of room for interpretation. And you know, one of the things that I love about the theater is the um, ability to experiment and use your imagination and and. And Sean's idea was to try to use the company to build the the play, um, and rather than just having the sort of designers design, the lighters, the the, the lighting designers light, uh, and him stage, he kind of used the whole company to uh, uh, be in on the design and execution and movement of the set pieces and. Uh, Um, We had a collective interpretation of the material rather than sort of singular. And, you know, for better or worse, it was our company's version of Elephant Man, and I loved that.
0: At the point at which you did Elephant Man, you had not done Broadway for a few years. There had been some off-Broadway, but certainly your film profile had increased enormously, um, in particular with Almost Famous in 2000, which was really a, a role that a lot of the public got to know you from. Did the recognition that you now had affect the way you were either part of the company, part of the production, or even people's perception of you going into that show?
2: Well, definitely. Um, if I, I don't know if I could exactly name how, but you know, I've always found it really hard to uh, to to manage those feelings in myself. Just whether or not, I, I, in, on as simple a level as is somebody looking at me now because they recognize me or are they looking past me or am I being egocentric uh, for thinking that they're looking at me or why am I still talking to myself in my head am I schizophrenic uh, you know there it's really hard to kind of learn how to manage um, newfound fame and even when it's on as you know um, small a level as it is from was for me with almost famous in you know and it was still a difficult thing and is still a difficult for th- thing for me to, to to kind of sort out. And fortunately, I never took, you know, a great deal of time off from work and then kind of got back into it after I'd had some success or something. I continued to work throughout. So the working experience was pretty much the same. But people then do defer to you in a way uh, – while they're kind of testing out whether or not the fame has affected you as much as it has them. And um that happens more with film than it does in the theater. It's like, you know, when producers come up to you on a film and they're just terrified about whether or not something they're about to say is going to send you into a blind rage that will make this magical thing that you're going to present to them, you know, this... uh um acting is so ethereal to some people, you know, that, that, uh, it feels like if they feel like if they screw it up, they just pissed away their commodity, you know? And so they'll come up to you with those eyes. Like, I hope this isn't the wrong thing to say. And so it immediately empowers you in a very destructive way. And you have to be very cautious about how you manage and negotiate those situations because it's very easy to take advantage of. And I understand why so many people do.
0: As we do this cursory run through your resume, I need to ask about a show that most people didn't have an opportunity to see. Oedipus. Uh Well, there's one. I, w- I was I was going to <laughs> Resistible <laughs> Rise of Arturo ah, yes, I yes, guess yes. there's more that you'd like to bring up, <laughs> but I, I have to ask. Um, you're you're one of the few people who got gets to say they were in in a show with both at the same time. Al Pacino and Tony Randall. <laughs> <laughs> that production, which had such a short run as as part of, of really one of the last productions of the National Actors Theater, directed by Simon McBurney of Complicite, this extraordinary cast, what was that like? Well, I had done
2: Arturo Ui in college and, in fact, played Arturo Ui, And it was, for me, the, the, the role and the play that made me decide to act. It was my... I think it was my senior year. And it was, you know, kind of my chance to play a big... You know, have have a big tour de force performance. And it was was really important to me in my own, you know, development. Uh, So the play itself had all sorts of sentimental notions. I had also seen Simon McBurney's... Mnemonic
0: uh, is the one many saw. No, I saw
2: Caucasian Chalk Circle about seven years ago in London. And it was the most extraordinary production I had seen at that time Um, and not just uh, not just because the play is pretty uh, exotic and I always uh, am uh, taken by Brecht it it was the staging was so inventive and made such wonderful use of the audience's um, oh what's the great Okay, take take some time for yourselves, people. It, while I think of this, if it, that comes to you, I, will, I'm sure it will. But he he used such uh some such great theatrical devices that I was really inspired and thrilled by it, and always kept it in the back of my mind. And so when I heard that he was doing Arturo Ui, basically, I just went in and said, you know, I'll do whatever you want. Um, if if you want me to be a part of the company, I'm happy to do it. I'll do a couple of roles. You know, I just want to be a part of the experience because I've. It, 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 my, I admire the what the work that you're producing, and I want to watch it in action, and uh, and so that's what I got to do. And what uh, was being inside like? Well, Simon Simon is uh, he's a force. He's a singular force. It. I had just come out of Elephant Man, which was you know basically <laughs> a, a little socialist enclave where we all made decisions, you know, and we. We uh, we created the production ourselves, and and, and and Simon is a dictator. You know, he has these brilliant ideas that flow nonstop from his head, but it is his vision that you are producing. And so that was a huge shift for me to make in the space of, you know, I don't know, two months or something like that. So it took some getting, getting used to. Um, but, you know, that said, being able to watch all of those actors – uh, watching Charles Durning do an improv with Al Pacino, you know, uh, based on something Simon Bernie is giving them uh, on, you know, uh, on status it, it is uh, anecdotally uh, a great uh, uh, thing to witness. But also, uh, you know, I had a bunch of good friends in that and it, it was a really nice experience, yeah.
1: I, I recall seeing a production of uh, Arturo Ui at uh, what is now the um, Needlelander Theater when you were six months old. <laughs> it was So you you would not have seen that. I don't think I did see that. It was de- that. December 1968. It ran for about a week, two at the most. And Who was in it? I don't recall. No. I, I don't recall even understanding what the play was about. <laughs> well,
2: I, I, that, that makes perfect sense. <laughs>
1: yeah. And uh, I was hoping maybe you could tell me what it was. No, I, I, I kind of <laughs> figured it out since, but uh, it was a very kind of obtuse production, I just Wondering if that had any influence on later production, like the one you were in. Was well, it, it's, and a, any to it's any reference. It's an imperfect production? play. There's uh-huh. no
2: question about it. It uh, he, Brecht I think wrote it in a hurry uh-huh. uh, as a response to the fascist the fascistic rise of uh, of Hitler and in, in Europe. Yeah. And he was um, he was terrified. Brecht was terrified about it. And you know he he was kind of expressing what Belinsky expresses in A Coast of Utopia. Is why don't you people see this? You know, please somebody see this. This mm. is devastating what's happening around us and the play is kind of constructed with that sort of frenzy uh so it it, it's imperfect it's a kind of shotgun approach to getting the audience to you know metaphorically and allegorically understand what's happening um in the socio-political climate in a comedic way you know it's all comedy with brecht Mm -hmm. you know
1: well, a much more recent play, one that also has a certain amount of frenzy in it, of course, is The Pillow Man, which you were in a couple of years ago. And Howard asked the question before, when you were in uh, The Elephant Man, how your your fame at that point uh, influenced the way people saw you, or the, your performance, all that. So here you are three years after Elephant Man. Now you're in The Pillow Man. And you were even better known as a, as a movie actor. Uh, what sort of impact did that have on your performance or the way in which you were perceived, do you think?
2: Well... <laughs> I sort of plateaued at, at, at the Almost Famous, like in terms of getting used to uh, people's response to me and how how to manage it in a work environment. You know, I don't, I don't typically take projects that um, that are going to elevate me to the status of – nor am I offered, by the way – products that are going to elevate me uh, to the status of someone who people – uh, will always defer to, and you can sort of, you know, wield all of your power all the time. I'm not so interested in that. You know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I do my best work as a secondary artist. Uh, that is to say for me, the playwright and the director are the primary artists. And if they can tell me what tool I can be to, (laughs) not what a tool I can be by the way for those of you listening at home uh uh but what tool I can be in the building of their piece uh I can excel and I have no uh designs on you know kind of um oh who's a good Orson Welles you know um uh, taking a project from beginning to end and i'm i just don't have that you know size of intellect I have a very narrow uh a focus in my work and so um i've never been you know really given the opportunity to 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 exert all of that power and and force um but things haven't really changed for me you know uh in in my work environment from from the first day I started working, you know, the first day some people are a little nervous. Some people come up and say I'm a fan, but most people I've worked with before now, you know, at some level or not or know them from the theater. Or...
1: Now, the role of Katurian that, that you mm. played in Pillowman, uh, again, the word quirky comes to mind. Mm. Uh, interesting, uh, different than the average role. Did you go after that specific role? Did they come after you? How, how did how did you become Katurian?
2: Um, well, they they asked me to read for that role. And I went and auditioned with John Crowley because he had, didn't know my work before. And, you know, I after I read the first page and a half, I knew it was something that I would want to do. I didn't really even know what the play was going to be about, how it was going to evolve. But the writing, the nuance that was in the text was so specific and so exciting and required such dexterity to move from moment to moment that I knew it would be something that uh, I could – uh, grow with uh, uh, grow in as an actor and that's always exciting Elephant Man was similar in a lot of respects physically I knew it would be demanding and I knew it would force me to you know go outside of myself to to, to kind of develop more skills so I auditioned for uh, Katerian and essentially just worked with John for a day John Crowley the director uh, and yeah that was it that was how it happened
0: Martin McDonough's plays...
2: And then I read the play, by the way, and I was horrified. (laughs) I said, I want out.
0: Martin McDonough's plays are an amazing mix of wit and terror, often with instants of each other. What is it like to be in a show that sort of whiplashes around for the actors and indeed for what's going on out in the audience with people?
2: Well, once you get control of it, it's thrilling because... Then you get to be the little puppet master out there, you know, taking people from one to the next and you hear people gasp and then they're thrilled. And I had the unique uh, experience in that of addressing the audience and telling stories straight to the audience. So that was the first time I really got to engage and – which can be uh, exhilarating, depressing, uh, terrifying – because you know I pillow man for sure I would pan across the front row as I'm telling these stories to people and you know there's a 17 year old couple who are absolutely thrilled next to a 50 year old guy who's dead asleep next to a 70 year old woman who is laughing her ass off you know that they're, they're seeing a Martin McDonough play the audience I had the most unique privilege you know to witness the uh, the, the 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 um unexplainable reaction. Uh, they're you know it, it crossed all all barriers and boundaries. I would I could never have said, oh, this is a play that appeals to young people, or this is a play that appeals to old people, or this is what people think is funny. And this is what everything. Uh, it was all up for grabs in that, and uh, that was a really exciting experience. But when you are when you are the one in charge of it, and you know. That it's going to be provocative when you say a certain line. It's really uh, empowering, and uh, I loved it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you're currently in uh, two thirds of Coast of Utopia, the, the first two parts of the trilogy, which runs, uh, I guess, what, through early May here in New York That's right. at Lincoln Center Theater. Beyond that, in terms of uh, theater, in terms of Broadway or off-Broadway, any any things you want to do or, or are planning to do?
2: No. It, it sort of goes back to what I was saying before. Uh, I wait for the director to say this is what, you know, I think you would help in, you know. Uh, I would have never thought to pursue Coast of Utopia and Belinsky if Jack hadn't come to me and said, you know, I think this is something you could play. So, um it takes, you know, the right confluence of, of uh, creative personalities to come together for me to get pretty inspired. So I've got no designs on anything at the moment.
1: So you're just waiting for the phone to ring. Basically. That's correct. That's correct. Any great roles that you've always wanted to play? I've
2: played them, you know. <laughs> I, 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 all the roles that I've played uh-huh. have been, I've just had such great fortune, you know. I, I feel incredibly grateful. I mean, had I seen this production, I would be chomping at the bit to play Belinsky, you know, mm-hmm. so I remember that when I saw the first 20 seconds of it, Jack uh, did it. J- Jack um, showed the cast what it would look like, you know, when they bring the music up and pull the curtain off. And, mm-hmm. you know, I would say once every three or four years, I go to a production and I think, God, I wish I was in that. Mm-hmm. It just looks like that would be so extraordinary to be a part of. And I got to see this first 20 seconds and I was like, that's one of those productions that uh-huh. I get to be in it. So.
1: That's terrific. Well, I think on that note, it's a great time to say, Billy Crudup, thanks so much for being with us today. Well, thanks State for Center. having me. Thanks. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Billy. For the American Theatre Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theatre Wing is available online, on demand, for free, from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org
1: And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John Von Susten for Downstage Center. That's a wrap, and thank you.